0: Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your host and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. All right, Jeremy, for the past four weeks, we've been talking about these guys at PDQ Decide. Do you think they're getting the exposure they need from our podcast? PDQ Decide, PDQ Decide, PDQ Decide. All right, all right. <clears throat> I think our listeners know the name at this point, but besides having affordable and easy reserves planning software that works from day one, I mean, what else do we need to know about these guys? Uh, I mean, really?
1: All right. I'll say it. They don't do change orders. They've got pricing on the website and they flat out refuse to do change orders. It's almost like, wait for it, Tim, a real SaaS company.
0: So no change orders. And you know the pricing before they even get to a demo. I mean, that's crazy.
1: Yeah, no joke. PDQ Decide is the real deal. They've got a plan and they're executing on it. PDQ Decide. PDQ Decide. PDQ Decide. <laughs> all right, all right, all right.
0: Check them out. www.pdqdecide.com. That's pdqdecide.com.
1: So, Tim, you you think you're a big A&M guy, but Matt Flanagan's got you beat. I know that for a fact, because there are this articles out there posted about Matt. Articles there. Matt is like the number one Aggies fan. Matt, if, if I recall correctly, I think you, in, in this write-up I read, you're so close with the basketball team, they let you go to private practices. Is that true?
2: Uh, well, not only practices. We've um, had the pleasure of flying with the team to one road game every year. Nice. And then um, a couple of years ago, I, time I've lost sense of time nowadays. But we, uh, the team was playing at the um, the tip-off classic at Ramstein Air Base in Germany a couple of years ago, and it was on uh, five o'clock Eastern Time, whatever it was. But it was midnight tip-off in Germany, and so we actually flew with the team over for that, oh. and spent uh, three days on the air base. Um, met some unbelievable servicemen and women. In the tour. Uh, we got to go up on uh, one of the C-5s um, and up, up into the turret in the cockpit. Unfortunately, the weather was a little a little cruddy, so they they were supposed to have the jump team go out the back, but they lowered the back door. I think we were flying at about 5,000 feet, but the jump team couldn't go out because of the fog and the low the low deck. But um, yeah, we've we've had some um, some unbelievable fun A&M experiences through athletics and through some of the other former students and donors for sure.
1: No, nah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you, you brought up weather. I mean, this I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out, but man, just, just uh, you know, I wanted to say to everybody in Houston, I think everything will be back to normal by the time you listen to this, but hope you're all getting your pipes fixed up and, and warm enough and getting, you know, decently, <laughs> decently warm showers in there. It's been a, a week. I've been thinking about that community a lot. So appreciate you two coming on, you know, despite all the madness this week, Tim and Matt.
2: And it's a—I tell you—it's a pleasure to well, be here. I'm glad I have internet sure. so I can actually do this. I, I'm with you. Serious? I'm with you, Jeremy. That I, I um, You know, I've, I've got friends and buddies down in Houston and elsewhere in the state. They're dealing with busted pipes and flooded houses, and, and uh, we, we consider ourselves fortunate that. I think the worst thing we had to do is to have dinner as a family by candlelight every night. So we're not—we're not, we're not going to complain.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's uh, bizarre times. It's like you know pre Benjamin Franklin era or something like that. So, Tim, had you met Matt before? I know obviously you're both big Aggie guys, but that's kind of a thing in the in the oil and gas space. Did you go to school at the same time or, or meet prior to to this?
0: No, I don't. I don't think we've met. However, I was going back through your your profile. Um, I was coming into AM, My first year was 88. And I guess yours last year was not your class of 90. But I found something very interesting in your uh, profile. Man. You've got a degree in aerospace engineering. I started aerospace and I got out in 90. I left aerospace at 90 going to petroleum engineering because it was perhaps the worst time in history to get a degree in aerospace engineering because the Cold War was over. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, uh, you know. That's why I left it and you were just, you were finished. So you are actually this, by the way, Jeremy, I just want to point this out. Matt is actually yeah. a rocket scientist. What?
1: Dude, I just thought you were a consultant.
0: No,
2: no, I no need he's, to he's so to at a, a party, I, um...
0: at a part at a party, when someone says this is not rocket science, Matt can step in and say, no, it's not. And let me tell you about rocket science. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's
0: awesome.
2: I tell you, my kids didn't even believe me that I was. And i my uh, my senior um, design class that you have to take was uh, I did the tilt rotor, which now the Osprey that you see the military side of it, and even even some of the offshoots of the of the Osprey with uh, you know some of the drone, fully automated uh, aircraft now that they're bringing into markets to land on rooftops and, and do transport type stuff um was actually the the subject of my design class design thesis i did back however long ago there was decades um so we had to do a military adaptation of the tilt rotor and then i did a civilian application of the tilt rotor um which was in essence that you could convert parking lots parking garages rooftops of buildings and office buildings and turn it as a way to to transport people or in around cities in a much more economical way right so it's uh I guess I predated myself about 30 years, uh, <laughs> a little ahead of the market, so to speak. Um, but yeah, like, like Tim said, I, you know, I came in in 86 and, um, the petroleum industry was still coming out of the doldrums of the 83 price shocks, um, and all the layoffs that happened, certainly in Houston. And my, you know, my dad worked for Exxon his whole career oh. in finance. So I, you know, I'm a second generation energy guy for, for lack of a better term. And, um, I think I was looking for something else to do. I was reasonably good at math and science and, you know, the the potential to go work on either aircraft or in aerospace or work on that. Then the space shuttle was the going thing. So it was oh, kind yeah. of exciting time for me to, Hey, let's go do this. And, um, you know, I right around the time Tim started, I guess in 88 was when the defense industry started its downturn ahead of the big recession in 89 and 90. And the, the folks that came to A&M to hire engineers weren't iron general dynamics boeing and bell helicopter and and i think i had gone through um i think i had gotten four or five not only job offers but had start dates and um all of them one by one they'd call me the week before and say hey your your the contract was canceled by the government um your job and 50 other jobs are gone sorry good luck and you know, after that, I said, all right, I got to go pivot and find something else to go do because it's not for me. And, I, and I, it's fine. I wasn't going to be very good at it anyway. I wasn't incredibly <laughs> passionate about um, the engineering side of it. It was really the kind of space and exploration side of it that was pretty intriguing to me.
0: So yeah, I think when, me when me I was starting, about- there was something like, so, uh, when
2: I was starting, it was about a thousand
0: engineers coming in to the program my freshman year. And when I when I left or when I graduated in petroleum engineering, there was something like, you know, just a handful that actually had jobs coming out in 92. So it was, wasn't was a good time to be in uh, aerospace.
2: Well, I know they, they probably did the same with you, but you're, you're, you're entry level engineering 101 and you're in one of those massive auditoriums with 500 other freshmen. And the guy walks up to the front and he says, look to your left and look to your right. And by the beginning of next semester, only one of you is going to still be here. It's true. I mean, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a very tough, rigorous, you know, engineering program, and they put out the best and the brightest, and it's tough. I mean, I, you know, one of the kids that I, um, I'm not a kid anymore, but one of the, you know, the we call them the curve wrecker when I was here in the aerospace program is now a senior program director down at NASA. Um, So he's had a long, fruitful career. He's working on some of the. uh with Elon Musk, some of the joint ventures yeah. between uh, SpaceX and NASA and some of the other contractors. He's you know, so I, I went down and saw him before the pandemic started. I brought the family down and we got kind of the behind the scenes tour of NASA and he walked us around and it was really really, really cool to just catch up with him and see how he'd been and what he'd been working on and all the projects and stuff. So it's a, uh, but it's it's tough. I don't I don't one I don't think I could get into AN today and I sure as whatever, don't think I could graduate, man, and it's stuff to right as <laughs> right it is right now.
1: You know, it is, yeah, it gets more and more competitive each year. And, you know, for, for the younger folks out there, I mean, I'm a little bit younger than you guys, but nonetheless, growing up in the 80s, um, man, aerospace was everything, right? I mean, it, I remember the the Challenger crash was was a scarring moment for me, Kristen McCalla from New Hampshire. But I mean, people wanted to be astronauts, right, when they were younger, and it was kind of a viable path of of something that could happen. It feels like there's a little bit of a revival of that now with what we're seeing with SpaceX and you know all the, the you know it sounds like Jeff Bezos is going to follow his his heart and, and and try to focus on the outer space and and possibly new colonies of life. So it's, it's cool that it's a resurgence, but it reminds me of a little bit how things were in the, in the eighties. So, so Matt, you, you obviously had a good experience in, in college, right. To, to keep coming back and being such a support for the, the sports teams. Why, Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of what spurred that were you an Aggies fan growing up or did it really just come from having such a great experience in school, being a sports fan and wanting to give back?
2: Well, like any, I didn't know what A and M was. Again, my my parents are from the Bronx, New York, and my dad went to Fordham University. And then after he graduated in in the uh, in the '60s, Exxon Exxon hired him, and he started. They moved down to Houston and and kind of started and started a family. I'm the oldest of three, um, but I didn't know of A and M. I didn't know anybody that went to A and M coming through school. Um, I think I first started hearing about it when I was in high school. I went to I went to St. Jesuit. Uh, played basketball and baseball and started to hear a little bit about it. And then as I got into my junior and senior year, I was mainly a baseball guy, started thinking about, do I want to, you know, maybe look for a chance to play at the, at the next level? Um, I wasn't going to get drafted. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't that good. Um, And I had some partial offers. I had uh, some full-time offers from some division two schools. You know, I knew I was, you know i could play it was fun but i was really looking for some place that you know i was either gonna if i was gonna walk on or something like that that maybe i could but i was really there to get an education um so i wanted a top-notch school um i had a i had a partial scholarship to to rice um and i was fairly well set on going to school there but i didn't like the baseball coach um, <laughs> he just he, he he came to campus and he watched a few of the games I, that that i pitched and met with him a bit one-on-one and I just something with him just didn't resonate with me. Um, and it happened, turned out that was his last year at Rice. And they brought in Wayne wow. Graham, who's gone on to, you know, turned Rice into a, a baseball powerhouse national titles. I don't think I could have played for Wayne Graham. Um, and so I, you know, I went up to a I met with uh, Mark Johnson was the head coach at that time. And you know, the, when I came in in 86, um, and I know I'm again dating myself, but I I played ball with in high school with the likes of Chuck Knoblock and you know Bel Air was not only a John state Byington. power, they were a national power. Uh, Westbury, Sharpstown, John Byington. Uh I mean, baseball in the city of Houston was I mean as good as it's ever been during those days. Um, and so I, that's why I played my my games against summer ball with those guys every year. And I I think all right, well maybe I can walk on at A&M. And sure enough, Chuck Knoblocks over there and. John Byington's over there, and um, it, it, there's no way I'm walking onto that team. But I went and met with the coach and said, Hey, and he, he was straight with me. He said, Look, I haven't seen any tape on you. I haven't seen a game, but if you want to come try to walk on, and this is over the summer, I said, We'd love to have you out and see what you can do. Um, I wound up getting hurt that summer in Summer Ball, uh, my my elbow, nothing serious, but just enough. And I got to AM and fell in love with the place. I, um, you know, I hook line and sinker, bonfire. Going out to cut on the weekends, working stacked, and I, I wasn't in the core, but you know it was a, you know Moses Hall where I was on the north side. We kind of prided ourselves as being the guys that built bonfire, and we just let the core guys come out and have fun from time to time. Um, and it, it really evolved, you know, through school and then after school the network. I mean, everybody talks about the Aggie network and the power yeah. of the network. It's I can tell you, having lived in Asia for for years and lived in Europe for years, and I know you guys have traveled a lot as well. There's there's not a place on earth. That you can't go and run into Aggies. Um, yeah, you wear, you wear the ring, it strikes up conversations, but it, it's turned into business opportunities and, and even deals at, at, in a lot of places. So it's, um, no question. It's, a, it's obviously, as you know, tough to explain the, the cultish nature sometimes is you know, it's a, we, we do live in a bubble in Bryan College station from time to time, but, um, the network is powerful. So I think that for me was, you know, finding ways to give back to that. So, you know, and I, I've been blessed to get introduced to, I met a lot of great folks and, um, you know, Von Miller being one that I met, um, uh, you know, right after he finished up his playing career and before the draft. And, you know, we were living in Denver at the time and, uh, we got to talking about life in Denver and restaurants and Aggie owned restaurants.
1: And oh, it nice. is.
2: Struck up a friendship and, um, got to know his family pretty well. And then they called and said, Hey, we're starting up a foundation. We'd love for you to be a part of it. And, you know, so it's stuff like that that you feel like I just, you know, you, you kind of get pulled into it. You don't really have to go, you know, I could create something, but it was, it was an exciting time to, you know, Vaughn obviously coming off the Super Bowl MVP and that, you know, we're trying to make sure the foundation can keep up with his success and notoriety when he's flying around with Drake and, you know, <laughs> Jay Z and all these other celebrities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think for, for us and, you know, my wife's not an Aggie. She's an Aggie by marriage, but none of my kids are probably going to go to school at A&M. they've chosen to go elsewhere which is fine it's just you know it's a you want to give back you want to help where you can you want to help kids with scholarships you want to help them with you know networking and job prospects and you know if you can hire them great if you can help them find jobs elsewhere let's do it and it's I have not seen a school elsewhere on earth that does it the way that we take care of our the way way we take care of our former students and our alumni I, I think it's unprecedented.
1: I would agree. Well, you're moving me to tears. Over there. Just beaming. Agg- <laughs> Aggie pride. Aggie pride.
2: You know, it, it's funny. No, the, the, I, the network um, thing.
1: The Von Miller thing. <laughs> I
2: thought this was an Aggie commercial we were doing, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> they need to hype this thing for us. Let's get Tom Blazing game over here.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the business a little bit. So you've been in the industry. You were at Opportune for what ten years or so, and and now you're doing this. Uh, uh, was it Dragon Hill Ventures? What what's that about?
2: Well, that's just a um, vehicle for me. I'd, I'd gotten involved in some some technology and some energy startups, um, some alternative energy stuff. So that's just a platform, you know, for for me and others to. You know, kind of do some of that investing work. Um, I've got a, I've got one of those lovely non-competes to, to deal with, which is fine. I, I was at a point in, in my career where I, um, personally had stagnated. Um, I wasn't having fun. It was, you know, the, I mean, the, the client side stuff is great and the people side and helping people with their careers and development is stuff that I'm passionate about and love to do. But I just felt like personally, I wasn't learning anything and I needed to, I needed to do something different. Um, you know, and that's on me, um, you know, I've I've pivoted a number of times in my career. I mean, we talked about the, you know, moving out of aerospace into, you know, going to grad school, getting an MBA and winding up back in the energy industry, doing stuff in the world of commodities trading. You know, I didn't plan on that at the age of 22. It just sort of happens. Um, and you you deal with it. You know, I, I felt like in my life, if I'm not, if I'm not learning, um, if I'm not developing myself, I'm not going to have fun. And it doesn't matter how much money you're making or not making, um, you know, there's other things I need to go do. So I uh, so the you know, I started up a, a another venture, the back half of last year with uh, with a couple of folks and in, in here in College Station that are, um, you know, both all, all Aggie graduates um, called Zygos. And, and so we're working with A&M on uh, bringing to market very vivid three uh, d replicas, uh, digital replicas. So I, I know we've talked a lot, the industry talks a lot about digital twins and, you know, it means a lot, and it's not new. It's been around, you know, eight, 10 years from what from I could gather. And it's, it generally means anything from a digital standpoint that gives you a representation of a of a physical asset. And that, that can take many forms. It could be, um, you know, I know, Tim, you're a, you're a former TIBCO Spotfire guy, you know, from analytics and business intelligence to the wealth of engineering simulation models that are out there what what we've got is a proprietary um, video game reality capture that's a capability based on a, a video gaming platform so one of my one of my co-founders that's is cool. a professor in the visualization program at a m which is ironically part of the college of architecture for some reason um, and we struck up a friendship a few years ago um, he's german his wife is australian and he was he had spent the first 20 or so, 25 years of his career in digital animation and video game development. So he, he spent a number of years with Pixar, uh, worked on, uh, I think, the Men in Black series and a couple of Nicolas Cage movies and others. And he'll list them off for you. And then he, he moved over to EA Sports and was the lead graphics designer for Madden NFL, uh, the FIFA soccer game and a few other a few other games as well. And he was actually on his way to move back to Switzerland where we lived for a number of years. And that really is where our friendship started was on the golf course talking about Switzerland mm. and other really cool places we've lived and where we want to live. And, um, he, you know, learned more about his background and he, he had started a company a few years back using a similar gaming platform that built educational tools. So he's got, um, you can call them games, but they're really modules that will teach you pre-calculus, algebra. Mm. Art history, world history. Um, he was trying to market that. Ten Cent in Beijing had reached out to him about doing something in partnership, where they would run and roll that out across all of the Chinese universities and their, you know, their their school system. Wow. And uh, he had not been to Beijing, so that we've talked more about, you know, doing business in China and how you negotiate with Chinese and, and you know what dinner looks like and how much Maotai can you drink before you pass out you know, all those sorts of things. And, and um, so then it, you know, it really evolved into, into this year, earlier this year, where, you know, we started talking about digital twins and I said, well, it's not a new concept. And the more I learned about what, you know, what the technology can do and the power of it and a platform that we built on top of it, I said, I think there's something here. We ought to, we ought to put this in the market and see what, see what kind of response we get. So we, um, you know, we haven't raised any equity. We haven't raised any debt. We, we've got a, some patents and flight, um, and we're working in conjunction with A and M that owns some of the underlying technology. So there's a revenue stream, royalty stream back to them on this. So they're excited about it. Um, so in essence, using nothing more than a a cell phone, you take images of any physical asset. Uh, we've got a we've got one customer. It's a a very large um, global upstream player, and they said we want you to to we'll take we'll send you pictures of a one of our lower 48 production sites. Well, hmm. and frack trucks and all that. You guys model it, and then we want to use it for logistics planning purposes. To so, you know, we can physically move trucks around and all that sort of stuff. Wow. So, using cell phone images, we create very quickly and cost effectively a, a video game quality, uh, think Doom Fortnite level quality, 3D wow. interactive dynamic replica of, of, of an asset. And so, you're in it. You can be wow. in, it's like, you're a user in the asset, you can walk around. And and the power of it is is not just that, but it's that this is part of the process is that we create, when we create that 3D model off the images, the structural hierarchy of that asset comes over intact. So we know that that compressor is a compressor. We know that pipe is a six-inch pipe. We know that's a vessel, that's a tank, that's a truck, and down to the, you know, really the centimeter level of detail. So we can identify individual nuts and bolts on a manifold um, at that level. So if it's... We can capture it in an image. We can model it, but then that allows have- us to then create all of the backend integration to, you know, maintenance management, work order management systems, document management systems. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the wealth of machine learning and artificial intelligence tools that are coming to market now. We create the visualization platform for that so that you can then, it's an, and it's an asset centric model. It's not. Tabular data. It's not a report. It's not an analytics where you have to take it and dump it into a spreadsheet. You're in the asset and you're interacting with it. So you think about all the use cases around it from, you know, from remote inspections, um, in the operations and maintenance world to, I mean, obviously health and safety is, is paramount. So being able to make yeah. operator training and simulation a much, it's, it's, we can enhance that. We can make it far more robust and, and real. Uh, we can simulate explosions we can simulate fires we can simulate your buddy falling off a scaffolding and all in in a safe virtual environment we can do all of that so we we threw this thing out in the market last year and the and the response has been um, incredible i i can't imagine i'm not a software sales guy and won't pretend to be one but it's been you know really powerful to be able to go out into the the worlds of water and water treatment infrastructure, um, Department of Transportation, and bridge inspections. Um, certainly in energy and oil and gas, power, utilities. Um, we've got a number of early adopters that are, I mean, this is really, really amazing stuff, guys. You can do, seeing you can do this and capture our assets digitally, and it's a replica, um, you know, there's a unlimited number of use cases and applications for this stuff.
0: pictures? How many pictures do you need? to stitch this together, if you're going out to a simple plant, I mean, it's not as simple as just going Hey, I want to take three pictures. You got to have a lot of pictures, right?
2: Um, it's a great question. I think you know the, the prevailing technology today is LIDAR laser scanning and photogrammetry, which have, in addition to being very costly, that equipment's very, very expensive. Um, and it, it does take high resolution images, but there it's a giant cloud mesh. And so what you'll get back is a, is a, A million pixels and then you've got to then have the ai smarts behind that to figure out what all those pixels are how they attach together and you still don't have the structural hierarchy of what it is you're looking at so you have a you have a 3d image that you can spin around and walk through and all that but you don't know that that's a, a compressor that's a heat exchanger you know that's a flow valve and that's you don't know that through those we we can do that on the fly so that's part of what we you know our our magic um you know i think from a you know what do we need if, if if we can't see it in a picture we can't model it um, so obviously if you're talking about a uh, you know very complex large footprint chemical plant or a refinery with all the pipes and valves and scaffolding and all that you know that I mean that's a you know well you can have somebody walk around with with a cell phone camera and take images you know we would need a fair number of images to to piece that together you know some of these facilities have um, on some basis, we'll do some, especially when they do a large retrofit or a turnaround, we'll, we'll get a current set of laser scans because they'll send those back to the engineering group that's doing the retrofit design work, and they'll model that. We'll try to pull that into their 3D AutoCAD model and go from there. So in simplistic terms, if you wanted us to model a frack truck, it's probably 8 to 10 pictures, um, You know, a few around the truck, one from the top one from the bottom, one from the inside. If you want to see the panel, the dash and the seats and all that sort of stuff. And, and we're good. Then we, we hand you a nice, a 3d replica.
1: I mean, this is, so is, this is a, really
2: cool. Is it more
0: of a software solution? You, you're bringing all, you're bringing the images together and the software is obviously sewing it together in a way, and then you're doing some identification or some AI to identify the pieces that you, that you want to hit.
2: So the, I guess there's a couple of pieces to it that there's the, the, what generally the industry calls reality capture. It's, it's the capturing of taking images and turning that into a 3D representation of the, you know, of that, of that, of that asset or those set of images. Um, we have some, uh, Archer's intelligence built into our reality capture process, which allows us to not only create the 3D rendering, but also recognize what it is we're looking at so again it knows so again if we're modeling uh if we were to walk through your living room tim and we took two pictures i could tell you that that's a picture in a frame behind you your ceiling fan i could tell you how many light bulbs are in that those are all individually light bulbs that's part of the ai that we've got built into our reality capture process and so then that creates call it the the pretty picture um so we've got a 3d rendering All right. So you can look at it. You can spin around. You can walk through it, but the real power then comes from the platform we've created as well and how you as a user in a, whether you're in operations or maintenance, health and safety, if you're in a back office accounting, finance or accounting function, how you interact with that asset. So we have, so we create a dynamic model. You can, you can simulate turning valves. You can simulate moving, driving a truck one side of a, a pad to another to another part of the pad. Uh, it's all it's not static. Um, and then having that structural hierarchy in place then allows us to do all that back end uh, system and data integration based on whatever the customer's back end system footprint looks like. So that then they walk, they're what to got a, a maintenance guy that's walking in and wants to look at you know a, a furnace that's been acting up. He goes in and touches the the furnace, and up pops the manufacturing information all the as-built information, any p ids but it's got the whole maintenance history there and all that sits in some other system we're not trying to replace that. But it's all visible and and, and available to you through the through the platform.
1: You know, so I think at our core, both Tim and I are kind of software nerds, so you're you're definitely peeking our radar here Matt. I, I have a bunch of questions, but the, the first one is, uh, okay, so I think that this is going to be pervasive in oil and gas at some point, right? Uh, we'll see more competition. It's going to be who got there first, who's got the best solution. But my question for you is, who, who's? I, we can all acknowledge that this is cool and in many ways necessary, especially from an HSE standpoint, remote monitoring, operational tech, I got it. But who, who's the buyer? Is this something that like the COO or VP of operations buys? Like who's the person that you target uh, in, you know, an oil and gas company? You
2: know, uh, Jeremy, you nailed it. It's it's um, and it, it really part of what's floored me. So my, my co-founders are not quote unquote energy guys. Um, obviously one is a um, digital animation game developer. Another of our co-founders runs his own civil engineering firm in, in central Texas. the other guy is another energy guy um and so when we're we're generally talking with senior operations so senior vp executive vp of operations executive vp senior vp of health and safety facility operations facility management well they're generally going to be my age um let's say north of 50 sure you know they're not gamers but when (laughs) they see it they're they're like holy crap this is I mean, this is amazing stuff. And they, they, the ones that really the light bulb goes off and they start to, again, think about all the use cases and ways to do this. I mean, we've got one, one customer that, you know, had said, you know, we, I mean, yeah, we, we see health and safety applications and we see O&M applications and there's other, you know, other use cases and other functions, but we could see this as a way as we have to convert, you know, say coal fired power plants over to. You know, clean burning or, or, or natural gas plants. We want to use this as a way to explain to investors and our board what that's going sure. to take. So when we're asking for tens of billions of dollars to convert an asset, we can explain to them how the process works and walk them through. And, and these—they're bringing this to us. We're not—you know—I know enough in in the spaces that I know to you know make a you know at least a, a coherent value proposition statement. But it's been amazing to see the, and so then we also know that when we get down into the actual. You know the twenty somethings and the thirty somethings that are in plants are the, the new operators. They're going to gravitate to this. It's so intuitive for them. Absolutely. Um, and and so you know that you think about all the the after effects of of selling software and implementing software. It's you know you're dealing with change management. You know it it becoming stale and no one uses it because they can't access or can't use it. And you know what we've got is so highly intuitive and there's no change management. You. We put you in the model and you're in there walking around and you click on stuff and you can you know, you can grab a, a tank and move it out of the way if you wanna see what's behind it. If you want to simulate a lockout tag out procedure or if you wanna simulate a and so it's got you know, these and these so the you know, the you know, the, the senior operations, senior maintenance, health and safety. Um I mean obviously the you know the, the digital tech leadership in these organizations, they see it. And so the questions tend to be more about you know, my, my sleepless nights are, you know, we've got, you know, some giant percentage of the U.S.'s energy, critical energy infrastructure in 3D models sitting somewhere inside. You know, we're not going to put that stuff on, on the cloud. Um, right. but working through, you know, the technical aspects of deploying these models and ensuring they've got enough, enough of the security and controls around it so that we can enable multi-user play. Um, which is, is also exciting for us and that the way we're, we're pricing this as being we want to be as we want to be asset centric. So we're not pricing this by user. If you've got ten thousand people in a facility, they can all be in they can all be in the model.
1: Uh, um, yeah, I like that. All doing
2: all do and, and so the you know the the, the pricing work that, that that I've done is streamline a lot of that, make it as transparent as we can and off we go.
0: So is there a real-time component, an augmented reality component, where you could be in the game or in the model and seeing a sensor reading, a live sensor reading coming off the system? Is that, is that another concept?
2: Yes, so the, um, we actually had a conversation this morning with, with someone about that, that, you know, so we, through our imagery, we'll know exactly where, so our models get built referentially, but if we have a couple of data points in that model, we can give you, we can give, and actually tell you how far apart stuff is in in reality. Um, so we know where sensors are actually placed on an asset. A lot of a lot of folks don't know that. So if you're taking a quality sample on a flow line, they don't always know where that quality sample is being taken. We can tell them that, and then we can in real time tell them the last quality sample that was taken off that line. We can tell them live flow rates. If that data sits anywhere else, we can make that as real time as they want it to be. Now, from a from an As built, you know, reality capture standpoint, it probably doesn't make sense to take images of a you know, a a power plant, a chemical plant on a daily basis. So we think the normal cadence will be, you know, it's every six months, every twelve months, maybe it's it's after or during a a big retrofit or big turnaround, we can capture you know, any changes that have been made. So we do have a time lapse feature on our platform so we can show you how, how the, and, and we have a, it's a surface model. We can show you how the surfaces of assets have changed over some period of time. So if you're looking at rust or corrosion buildup, we can show you that. But we don't think that anyone really is going to be looking at, you know, you, you can take through security cameras, you can see what's going on, you know, from a picture standpoint that way. But in terms of connecting all the other data with it, you know, it, it, um, you know I, I think we're not necessarily looking for someone to go capture images so that we can re-render the asset it's really not in real time probably not on a 24-hour basis we could do weekly monthly but generally most of the conversations we've had date have been kind of quarterly every six months to, to annually kind yeah. of a thing
1: pretty cool um this i'm wow. fascinated yeah i want to sell this stuff <laughs> <laughs> i need a job Matt, I want to sell for you. Uh, so you know, oh this God. is this is really really neat stuff, and I do I do think it's it's coming. Uh, like I, I'm really excited to see this get adopted. I think you'll get the big guys first, right? You, you'll get refineries, even power plants. Uh, you know, potentially some uh, renewables, and, and and obviously logically oil and gas um, pads and and wells and and rig moves and all that. Pretty pretty neat. Um, so you know. What I thought was cool, Matt, about a conversation you and I had uh, to connect up, I don't know, a couple months back is um, you were debating a move to Boston, potentially. Your your daughter, I believe, goes to high school in Vermont, which is kind of cool. So we'll, we'll dive into that. You can tell us about your your time in New England. But also something I want you to marinate on, what is your favorite Aggies sporting event of all time, one game?
2: You want me to answer that one first? Because that one's easy. Oh, that's, okay. Let's hear it. Oh that was Alabama two thousand twelve in Tuscaloosa
1: oh nice uh, on the road oh
2: yeah, on the road, number one bama Johnny's magical season, and that was a that was a magical stretch for any Aggie sports fan having gone through it really started I think with the um the o Miss game which which uh we were at in the grove, and we left I think in the early fourth quarter, the weather was kind of crappy, and you know we weren't winning, and Johnny hadn't kind of you know let lit everybody up yet and so we go back out to the grove and we're waiting for the car to take us back to leave and watching the tv on the grove and the comeback happens and we're going nuts and it started so we you know we went to we went to alabama um i was in i remember i was in europe and uh, uh a called me and said hey they're they're doing a uh a thing for the Heisman. you know johnny's going to be a heisman finalist and if we i think we buy a table at the black tie deal um for the Heisman Trust on Sunday night or Monday night, we get four tickets to the, the actual presentation ceremony. And so we were in the room for that. Um We went to a VIP deal before the actual announcement. So we're, I'm in a room with, you know, there's no reporters, there's no press. It's, um you know, the, obviously someone was there. Kingsbury was in there. The coaching staff, by and large, was in there. But, you know, Paul Horning's sitting over in a corner. Nobody's talking to him. <laughs> and I'm am am a I'm a six oh, year old kid again. I'm I'm so I walk up talking to him. John David Crow is John David Crow's sitting over on a bench and nobody's talking to him. Um and I mean I my wife and I had at the at the at the big dinner, my wife and I talked to Tony Dorsett and his wife for about two and a half hours. Unbelievable couple, family. They've got That's four funny. kids, we've got four kids, and we just started talking about family and raising kids and how different they are and all that. I mean it was a and then after that we had the uh, I guess it was the the OU bowl game, the Cotton Bowl, where we, we lit up Oklahoma. And then in February we flew with the team the basketball team to Kentucky and that was our, our first trip to Rupp. Nice. my first trip to Rupp. And so we go in, so we fly with the team and you know, they do their shoot around in the morning of the game. So we in the night before, you do the shoot around in the morning. Well, the the other donors that we went out with, we're down on the floor of Rupp, shooting free throws and playing one on one on one end of the corner. And some of us were walking around the, you know, they took us back through the locker rooms, saw Calipari's office, all the trophies. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then we go out and beat them, you know, on their floor. um, In front of 20-some-odd thousand rabid Kentucky basketball fans. It was unbelievable. So that was a, I mean, that whole thing was just a magical stretch for, you know, through Johnny and that 2012 season into the basketball season was a, was a ton of fun. So yeah, my hands down, uh, and that, there's been some unbelievable. I mean, uh, uh, you know, in terms of Aggie, like you know, no national championships yet, in football or basketball. But um, so number one for me is is the uh, Alabama game in 2012. Yeah, that and it's number followed closely by number two. And uh, and I think I don't know if Tim's a baseball fan. I know he played basketball, but uh, the the Texas uh, the Texas baseball series in '89 when we were number one in the nation most of the year that that Saturday doubleheader. Um, with Byington hitting walk oh, off yeah. home runs in the first and second games, I was
0: standing on the track. I was there for
2: that. Both of those. Um, I was up. <laughs> nice. I was up in the. I was up in the ratty section. I mean that that was number one until and always would be until that Bama game. So I think it'd only be eclipsed by a you know national championship. Yeah. And we're actually bigger basketball fans. I'm a bigger college basketball <laughs> fan than football. So I would. I mean, I'll, I'll take either one at this point, but in my lifetime, but. um yeah, I think that would certainly being, – being there for a national title and something like that would probably eclipse any of those for sure.
0: Yeah, that, uh, awesome. that doubleheader day was your fantastic. I Jeremy, Jeremy. You set got, the got stage. me spun up on stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> I, knew it. I knew it. To set the stage for that, I just want to echo on that. The stadium was completely full, sold out, and there's another 10,000 people standing on the tracks just watching this and with trains going by and everything, Whoa. and John Byington hits this towering shot right out to us.
1: Incredible. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's just such an immense amount of pride, you know, uh, you know, college sports fans have. It's a little bit different in, in New England. I think, you know, they they lean toward sports teams. But, you know, I, I love hearing all this stuff. Cause I mean, a part of it's, you got good weather, right? If you think about the school year in new England, it's cold for a significant part of it. So, you know, it's, it just kind of brings out something different when you can be outside and, you know, shorts and a, and a t-shirt. So, yeah, I'm I'm curious, Matt. You've got,
2: you asked about, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So my, 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 uh, my three younger kids, we've got four, my uh my older son wound up going to school at nyU in new york and got an engineering degree and he lives in brooklyn and then I said, my younger son graduated from uh, george washington in dc in december um, and my youngest you know she you know my my three older kids have been kind of lucky in that you know they were while they were very young they lived in asia so they they lived, we lived in japan for a few years nice uh, we lived in beijing for i don't know two or three years and uh, it was great for my wife and i from a development standpoint and just kind of being the you know the immigrants the outsiders so to speak and it wasn't just a travel trip we were living there so all the day-to-day challenges you deal with of, of you know getting mail or getting packages out or you know, grocery stores shut down at weird times we always wanted our kids to have a a chance to experience it and remember it so when you know europe came up it was a chance for me professionally to build a network in a, in a in a region that I had never worked in, so that it was good for me professionally, but you know, lifestyle wise, my kids were teenagers, and they were going to get a chance to you know, see as much of Europe and interact with kids that they wouldn't otherwise interact with. So it was great. But my youngest daughter was too young when we were in Europe, So we said, if we don't get another chance to get to get a get an overseas opportunity for her, she said, well, I would maybe I'll go to boarding school somewhere. And you know, my my younger son had gone to school in Vermont for a year of high school, and he loved it um his choice. Um and we went up and looked at this place and it's fantastic. It's a you know, I to tell anybody that's been up there, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine is not Texas. It's um they think differently, they <laughs> act differently. Uh if they find out you're from Texas, they treat you differently. Um <laughs> but she's she excelled. I mean the first I and mean, she basically went off to college at the age of fourteen. Yeah. As a freshman in high school and the first few weeks there were, there were nights nice. she's calling home crying and she never once said she wanted to come home, but she, um, she's made a, I mean, she's made friends that you or I would be jealous of at that age that she'll take with her through the rest of her life. And, you know, they've invited her over to stay at homes on the weekends and it's a, it's a, it's a great community. And, and so now our challenge with her is that, you know, she's got some, um, you know, she's got some really, really strong test scores and, you know, I think she's gonna have her choice of schools as well. So I think she's likely gonna wind up on the east coast and um sure. yeah, you know, I mean Boston I love Boston. As you Jeremy, you and I've talked, Boston's a great town. Um
0: love it. You know, I, I can't
2: handle Manhattan for more than four days. So I could I could, right. my wife and I could live in Boston and be very happy. Um you know so the, you know we we've talked about it. I I think we were you know before there's all this pandemic stuff correct. you know started we said maybe she's gonna be up there for not only four years but longer you know, we got three kids living on the East Coast, what are we what are we doing down here in Texas? You know, we can always go up and visit. But um and I, I appreciate the the passion, the sports passion, the but I'm not backing down when you know, when the Astros won the you know, call it Tainted or asterisk, whatever you want to say. I was I was wearing my orange up in Boston after that. <laughs> we were up there for that. Red Sox fans are brutal. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, Ast- Astros going through the uh, Red Sox, Yankees, and Dodgers—probably the three most storied teams in the history of the game. You just tipped your cap, you know. I was rooting for them. That was that was fun. I think Houston became a baseball town that year, yeah, just after the flooding. So, asterisk or not, I don't care. They got it
2: done. Yeah, we we met a ton of great people. We so we went up to the we were actually out in LA for Game Six and Seven of that series, and. um Spent way more than I needed to for tickets, but we wanted the experience because it taken me, yeah. you know, 50 years to get to a World Series. You know, I mean, we met, I mean, everybody. I mean, I was uh, Joe Torrey. Um, you know, we were having drinks with uh, Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell before before both game six and seven. Um, sat behind uh, Jason Bateman for game, I think it was game six. Um, Kate Upton was in front of us, Judd Apatow for game seven. Um, the Allstate guy, whose name I don't know, sat next <laughs> to my wife. Guy. Sat next to my wife for Game Seven and had a hot dog. He showed up late, had a hot dog, and then left in the in the seventh inning yeah. when it's he LA. knew it was over. That's um, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot, there's a lot of DC, envy we on a, these
0: name drops here. Nah, we went back stuff.
2: up. Uh, we went back up to DC for the you know for the series uh, year before last, and, and um I mean it was it was a Obviously, it didn't turn out great for Astros fans, but, man, we had a blast that weekend in D.C. Um, going to games, they ended at, like, midnight, and we're over at Ebbets um, Grill. Um, you know, they stayed up you know 4 or 5 in the morning, and we're having oysters, and Nationals fans are in there. You got uh, Capitals fans in there, hockey fans. I mean, it was just – it was a lot of fun. It's a great town. Wow. Yeah.
1: Man, we covered some good stuff I, here. We could I, do this I for didn't. hours.
2: We could do this for an hour.
1: I know. Hours, I know. But- nah, you got you got a wealth of stories, Matt. This was fun. This was fun having you on. Definitely look forward to uh, having you back. Let's call it—I don't know—six, nine, twelve months from now, because this whole digital twin thing is is going to be a thing. Uh, and and now I'm going to keep an eye out for it because I think it's 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 coming down the. The, the tracks pretty fast. I mean, it, it's a logical idea. So I, I'm intrigued to see how that goes. Your your consulting firm, and um, who knows, man? Maybe I'll get out to the uh, football field one of these days too, Tim. Maybe you can make that happen. Huh?
0: Well, well, we'll we'll see. The uh, and you know definitely uh, Jeremy's up for hire if you want something, Matt. He's he, you can get him. He, you get him easy.
2: Well, Jeremy, I'll leave you with this. I don't think I mentioned this to you that uh, you guys may have they may have seen if you're if you're gamers that EA Sports announced they're bringing back uh, NCAA football a couple I saw weeks that. ago. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Well, they've already reached out and asked if we could do all of the the, the stadium digital capture. Oh, nice. About a hundred about hundred stadiums in the country, so we're we're trying to decide if that if that makes sense or not. But if you want to go on a, a U.S. tour of college football stadiums, let's go do it. Oh, it
1: sounds, it is. Terrible. <laughs> sounds terrible. Sounds terrible. Yeah, no, I, I love it, Matt. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Appreciate you coming on.
2: Hey, Matt, I it was great being you. you guys having me. Stay healthy, stay warm, and uh, have a great weekend. You too.